upon this blade and enter the circle with fear in your heart. How do you enter? With perfect love and perfect trust. Welcome to the Craft Movie Retrospective Series from Now Playing. Oh shit. It's the bitches of Eastwick. Hosted by Arnie. Trouble from all over the world to hear him speak about this kind of stuff. Stuart. You guys are really indulgent. I'm sorry. And Jacob. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Do you want in or do you want to leave the circle? Just tell me right now. I don't want out. Listener discretion is advised. Watch out for those weirdos. We are the weirdos, mister. Today we're discussing the Kraft Legacy. I thought that was mac and cheese. Velveeta, Cool Whip, Lunchables. I knew that was some sorcery. <laughs> how do they keep that ham fresh? And, yeah, and unrefrigerated. How, how much salt is in that? Or is it Eye of Newt? I don't know. Starring Kaylee Spanny, Gideon Adlon, Lovey Simone, Zoe Luna, with Michelle Monaghan, and David Duchovny. Directed by Zoe Lister-Jones. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and I am so excited for this podcast. I even bathed. <laughs> and Stuart. And this is Jacob, and I'm only here because you guys promised me shape-shifting into Kristen Stewart. That's going to happen, right? <laughs> if it's you, I'm down. <laughs> so 24 years is a long time, and I would think the... Audience that loved the original would have been real aged out in wanting to see a sequel in 2020. How'd we get here? I think it probably came about from the 20th anniversary. This sequel was announced in 2015, and 2017 was the 20th anniversary. This is five years in the making. <laughs> Somebody I hadn't heard of, Lee Janik, was announced to direct. I mean, they had a writer, a director and a release date when they announced this in 2015. She was a director who was working on the TV series of Scream. I don't know what happened there, but the 20th anniversary of The Craft was a pretty big deal with interviews and celebrations among Craft fans, and it really, I think, drove home that The Craft has legions of fans, and I'm reading interviews with Feruza Balk and some of the others, and they're talking about how they're meeting a family that has three generations of fans. The grandmother, the mother, and the daughter all love the craft. Okay. All right. The demographic is largely women. Like, maybe part of why I'm missing this is because I'm a guy in the 90s and just wasn't into what got sold as a chick flick. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily, because I liked the craft. And when I was reading about some of this retrospective stuff and the oral history stuff, what they mentioned is the craft was basically intended to be a more goth clueless but what it ended up being was something that appealed to not just women but any kind of fringe person goths punks you know anybody who didn't feel like part of the inner circle and inner cliques 
we're able to relate to this movie and we are the weirdos. Yeah. Okay. If you say so, I guess it helps to be young, right? I was just too old for it is what I'm going to hold on to. Well, how do you feel about this one then? Because this one feels way younger. Oh yeah. I can feel the years having passed. Yeah. What I can say is I was about your age when I discovered the craft, Stuart, but the actresses were all my age too. You know, we were all the same age. So I didn't feel as out of place watching a high school movie as I might have with the sequel where I'm like, so this is teen slang now. I grok it. Are you woke Arnie now? (laughs) And why did it end up at Blumhouse? If this was such a hot property, why did Sony say, let's send it to the guys that make movies for two million or less? Not a lot of word on that. I mean, do you know how they got Fantasy Island? I don't know. Somebody somewhere. (laughs) Digging through a trash bin. Yeah, because no one wanted it? (laughs) I mean, I think that Blumhouse is willing to throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks, right? I mean, they're just going to keep pumping out movies, mostly genre flicks. Oh, they have like a whole channel on Hulu of horror movies you should probably never watch. Right. But every now and then they get a get out, you know, like every now and then they score big and they catch the zeitgeist and they seem to be going for the zeitgeist here. This feels like one of those movies. We've seen a few now. Deep Blue Sea 3, Black Christmas 2019. Let's not forget Black Christmas was Blumhouse. Right. Yeah. This is a movie made entirely by women. It's a female driven Hollywood project at a time where the pressure is on to let women step into new creative roles behind the camera. And frankly, the craft feels better positioned to take on that issue more than most horror franchises, more than Deep Blue Sea 3. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Smart Sharks, that was just a weird way to bend it into gender politics. You don't like your social commentary with sharks? I mean, it, it ended up working. I gave it a recommend. What I'm saying is, I'm waiting to see a real success story here. We've seen a few that have tried to catch the momentum, but we've yet to get a classic yet. So maybe if this beloved project that you keep telling me generations of women uh, hold on to as some kind of touchstone, then maybe they have something to say about it. I think it's good. Let me put it this way. I'm glad the original writer, the original director are nowhere near this thing. Oh yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement, even though I barely recommended that one last week. Obviously, a lot of room to improve this story. Even, look, my opinion going in, I I didn't see a trailer. I saw like a 10 second pre-roll before a YouTube video and it just showed them playing uh, light as a feather, stiff as a board. I'm like, oh, so this is going to be a remake? Like, that's how I felt like going in. They're just going to redo this. But there's still, there's room to improve, like, fix that story. Who is Zoe Lister-Jones? I looked up her filmography. She seems to be an actress primarily of on television, sitcoms. Yeah, she is an actress who got into directing with a movie I hadn't heard of, 2017, called Band-Aid, where not just female-led, but every single crew member was female on that one. And it had a Sundance premiere. This is her second film, but... Most of her work in Hollywood had been acting in things I haven't seen. Okay, you too. I figured if anyone had the best (laughs) shot of seeing her sitcom work, it was you, but you don't know her. I mean, she only does episodes. You know, I saw a few episodes of The New Girl, but did I see one of the five she did? 
I don't think so. You know, she did one episode of Law and Order. She did one episode of it looks like of all the Law and Orders. Trial by Jury, Criminal Intent, Special Victims Unit, and the OG Law and Order. I mean, you know, she's just a witness in these things, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the other guys. I've seen Salt. I don't know who this person is. Apparently she was in those movies. So, yeah, I have really no idea who she is, except I know what she's trying to do, which is to continue and push forward a feminist trend of opening jobs for women in Hollywood that normally aren't there for women. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard of a female boom mic operator. There might be some, but there were on Band-Aid. Right. Yeah, DP is particularly, I mean, cinematographers, I know because I worked in that area, there was a real macho thing around working a camera that they just, it was hard for women to break into that. And I think that it's really cool that, yeah, we have a female DP here. Musician eh, and editors are almost always women. So that wasn't a surprise. But yeah, we're going to have another opportunity for a bunch of women to show their stuff, trying to extend the legacy of a movie that I didn't think was worth shit. But who knows? Maybe it could be better. (laughs) And they went back to some of the original concepts. The producer of the craft is also the producer of this. And he said... You know, we made a mistake. The craft, we should have really pushed for PG-13 on that one. We should have edited whatever needed to be edited for PG-13 on that. We didn't know how to market it. We didn't realize it would be the success it was. Trying to fix some of that this time. This is a PG-13 film. Yeah. I didn't even look and I I felt it. Let me tell you. (laughs) Yeah, because nothing scary happens. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. What genre is this movie? It is not horror. It's the same genre as the original, I feel. Like, yeah, I don't know what these are. It's like, we're going to take witches seriously genre? Yeah, I feel like because maybe it is so female-centric... There's a lot of positivity towards that. There is a real reluctance in this movie to see witchcraft as horror or anything dark or corrupting. If you're expecting these women to be turned on and turned evil by the power of Manon, you will be waiting the whole movie long. It just doesn't happen. Oh, what Lister Jones said is growing up, she was a big fan of the craft. She was 14 when she saw it, loved it growing up. You know, everybody who says that they're doing the remake love the originals, right? You have to. That's part of the interview. But what she said is when going back and rewatching it with the intent of making a sequel, she was horrified by the gender politics there. And we had this discussion last week, whereas I saw the craft as a chance for women to get a one up on the bullies and the date rapers who would otherwise attack them you saw it Stuart, very differently as women having power is bad and you have to just follow the rules well she saw it when watching it this time as a woke director i guess you're a woke reviewer because you two saw the same movie there as she said in her remake women would not fight each other the problem would not be from within a group of women would not fragment in that way the problem would be external yeah david duchovny who is the problem on sets from what i hear but anyway (laughs) that's another story you know he said in an interview he did some press for this and he they was asked about working with all these young and mostly unknown actresses and Uh uh-huh what did he pass on and he said you know i feel the best example i can set for them is showing up on time knowing my lines doing my job and being a professional okay so maybe the fact that he's doing the craft legacy has taught him not to be a problem on set i don't know 
What I do know is this was supposed to be theatrical. I guess that's how you get Michelle Monaghan and David Duchovny. Yeah, it it looks like a movie that could have played uh, in theaters. Yeah, I watched the trailer before I started this, and it did... I was worried. You know, again, you put this craft out, and I was like, what the hell? And so, yeah, I looked at it, and I felt like, yeah, it looks like a movie that would get released. It doesn't look like straight-to-tape Deep Blue Sea 4. That's what I was saying, and I when I was selling you that we needed to do the craft, my specific pitch was... The sequel doesn't look like shit. It actually looks credible. If this sequel had looked like a Deep Blue Sea 2 or something, we wouldn't have even discussed the original. It just wouldn't have gotten on the schedule. But a credible, meant-for-theatrical release sequel to a 23-year-old classic, yeah, I thought that it would be given a shot. And by bringing in Michelle Monaghan, David Duchovny, these aren't A-listers, but they're names and... I felt like at least they're giving this a shot at actual success. Yeah, when was the last time David Duchovny did something? I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen him. Californication. Which was the early 2000s, 2010s? Yeah, about 10 years ago. Yeah, okay. I guarantee you if he's in this, he is consistently working in stuff we don't see. (laughs) There was a revival of X-Files in 2018. He was in that episode of Twin Peaks. Who wasn't in Twin Peaks The Return, though? (laughs) I don't remember him in Twin Peaks, but I'm trying to repress that third season. Neither do I. (laughs) Yeah, it was just for a second. But this was a hit as best as direct-to-video on demand can be called that. The Craft Legacy was Voodoo's top title for the week it was released. And it was the second title on Fandango Now, beaten only by Unhinged. God, are these really the barometers by which we will be talking about blockbusters? I mean, it's 2020, yep. <laughs> wow, that's just, I don't even know what that means. I know it costs 20 bucks, and if people are shelling out for that, wow, they must really love that first movie. It's 20 to rent, 25 to buy. I'm doing the Bill and Ted model. So, yeah, I mean... I don't know what this translates to exactly in terms of numbers and dollars, but if you're looking at the video on demand charts, it's number one for Voodoo, which I think is a little bit more credible than Fandango Now. If you say so. Uh, Who's renting off of Voodoo and Fandango Now in the first place? Like, those are your go-tos, not Amazon, not Apple? Like, okay. Well, with movies anywhere, you know? It's like, go to one, go to them all, unless it's a Paramount film. And if I weren't to go to iTunes, I would go to Vudu next. I don't even think I have those apps on my Roku. Like, <laughs> don't even stream those. Well, Arnie, why don't you give them the plot, and we can find out what this legacy holds. Lily, played by Kaylee Spaney, and her mother Helen, played by Michelle Monaghan, have moved out of New Jersey and in with Helen's boyfriend Adam, played by David Duchovny. Making it slightly awkward for Lily is she's now living with three stepbrothers, two of whom go to her high school. It's never easy to be the new kid in class, but it's especially hard when Lily has unexpected menstruation and bleeds visibly on her chair on the floor in class. Fortunately, there are three high school witches who come to her aid with friendship and blood-free gym shorts. Those three are Frankie, played by Gideon Adlon, Tabby, played by Lovey Simone, and Lords, played by Zoe Luna. They are witches, but they need a fourth to really tap into their magic, and they sense Lily has a natural magical ability. Together, the four cast a spell on class bully Timmy to rob him of his overflow of toxic masculinity. Suddenly, woke Timmy ditches his friends and hangs out with the four witches. He even admits to them he is bi and slept with Lily's oldest stepbrother, Isaiah. 
Lily is going through her own emotional turmoil when she snoops through her mother's cabinet and finds out she's adopted. Lily casts a love spell on Timmy and the two make out, but that night Timmy is found dead from an apparent suicide. Appalled that Lily would use her magic in that way, the other three bind her and themselves, blocking their ability to use magic. It turns out, though, Timmy didn't kill himself. He was killed by Lily's stepfather, Adam. Adam leads a group of men's rights activists, including his own sons, and, at one time, Timmy. When Timmy became a sensitive soy boy, Adam realized there was no way to save him, so he had to kill him. Now Adam wants to rob Lily of her powers and take them into himself. From beyond the grave, Timmy, using a Ouija board, asks the other three witches to go to Lily's aid. So they do, and unbind themselves, restoring their powers, and together the four witches kill Adam with a giant fireball. With that done, Lily goes to a psychiatric hospital to meet her birth mother, who turns out to be Nancy from the first movie, played, for a few seconds, by Feruza Balk. <laughs> we barely see the legacy witch as credits roll. And as they start, I mean, it was a debate we had last week. Are they just going to remake the original and call it a sequel? Sure looks that way. We have this same opening. Yes, the answer is yes, Stuart. This is a remake, but the last three seconds make it a sequel. Yes, agreed. <laughs> we start just as we did before. They're, they're inside and not outside, but it's three witches realizing they're not as powerful without the other direction. They need a wicked witch or a good witch of the West. So, are they in Los Angeles? The last movie was clearly set in Los Angeles. This was filmed in Canada. It never feels like Los Angeles to me. Yeah, if this must be L.A., it doesn't feel like L.A. <laughs> no, it feels like they went north. It's, it's mentioned when we see Lily and her mom that they're moving from New Jersey. I feel like they went to Maine, New Hampshire, <laughs> Ontario. Perhaps Castle Rock. <laughs> there, it's definitely not SoCal. There's just no way, and it doesn't need to be. I mean, they're not trying to connect the coven to the one that was established at the Catholic prep school in 1996. This is a different school, and none of these girls know that they have any tether to the original four witches. Okay, that's what I was specifically wondering, is if they'd heard whispers of witches 20-some years earlier, because, again, Lily's birth mother apparently is just a short car ride away. So I was trying to figure out if these were supposed to be in the same school. It's not a Catholic school and it doesn't need to be, but it is the same problem. Three witches needing their fourth. And then we get introduced to Lily and her mom. They're driving down to the new fam and they're singing Alanis Morissette because that first one was in the 90s. I'm guessing that's why. That's what I was thinking going for that 90s feel. But I really do have to wonder. I think she's Gen Z, right? An older member of Gen Z. So do Gen Zers know lyrics to One Hand in My Pocket? <laughs> Yeah, I would only think ironic because everyone's made such a big deal out of the misuse of that word in that song. But yeah, all her other hits, I don't know if they know them. Here's what I would say is I feel like today's generation is more friendly with their parents. And so it feels like this is something she shares with her mom. She's not a Alanis fan. Her mom was. And so her mom has taught her to play Jagged Little Pill. And so what I don't understand in this scene is that if we remember back to the original movie, Robin Tooney was also coming to a city as a natural witch, not knowing her powers. She was more troubled. She was suicidal. This girl is crying, and I don't know what happened to Lily. Is she just sad that they've moved away from Jersey? The mother is crying, too. So, 
I was initially thinking like the Lost Boys, like divorce or something happened and they have no money and they have to move somewhere. But no, she's, the mother is moving in with her boyfriend in a different state. It's ill-defined, but I have to think it's just, I'm leaving my friends, I'm leaving my home and going to some new place to live with some new family. And yet when we get this girl characterized later, she's considered awkward and the mom's always trying to give her pep talks about your awkwardness is is part of you. Like, I don't think she had a lot of friends. She never calls her old friends. She doesn't, they don't establish it. Conveniently, we'll never know what backstory she's leaving but it just makes me wonder what's going on here on her emotional state. Yeah, as ill-defined as characters were last week, I I think that's an even bigger problem now. And, and, you know, with Sarah, okay, her mom died when she was born. There's some emotional baggage there. Did she blame herself? I don't know. Is that Maybe that's why she cut her wrist. Here, yeah, there's no wrist cutting. There's no suicide attempt by Lily. But, like, we find out she never knew her dad. And then much later on, she'll find out she's adopted. But I, I kept waiting for that dad part to come back. Yeah, we don't know her dad at the end. I thought David Duchovny was going to be the dad. I thought that was going to be the big reveal. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. The director said this was intentionally written with the thought of sequels in mind. Okay, so we'll meet the dad at some point if there's another one. It's better than Amazing Spider-Man, where it just felt like an unfinished story, but it does feel like essential parts of this story are still missing because they're trying to just leave obvious mysteries for later. Yeah, and I would stress the word essential. It's fine to leave some strands untied. Okay, there's more to learn later. But there's a lot about this story and these witches that I never that I never get. It just starts here in the beginning. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that Arnie even named the three other witches because they don't matter. They have no personality in this one. I can't believe that. One of the things I loved about the first movie was that each witch had their own issues, their own story. Some were better defined than others. Feruza Balk and Robin Tooney got a lot more filling out of backstory than we did with Nev Campbell and Rachel True. But all of them had an issue, like, I could keep track of them. Like, one, people were racist against her. One had bad skin and and wanted it cleaned up. Another one was white trash. Like, look, those aren't great character developments, but at least I could tell you what each character was about, and I could kind of figure out what their journey's gonna be. Like, the only one that stands out to me is Tabby, because we'll have a scene where she says, oh, I wish I had more black friends. I'm like, oh, that's gonna become a bigger deal later on. Nope. But, like, I don't know who these other three witches are at all. Okay, worse than the witches is when Lily and her mom show up at Adam's house, David Duchovny's house, he has three sons, Isaiah, Jacob, and Abe. Why? All biblical names. I'm waiting. And he's Adam, the first man. I am waiting. There's a snake. I'm like, come on. David Duchovny's going to be like a warlock or something. Like, I was trying to figure out what was going on. But again, none of that matters. Why do they have biblical names? Who knows? Well, I, I get that. I mean, the masculinity and things, you know, Adam or Eve was Adam's rib. You know, you could see that as man ruling over women. I just don't know why there were three sons and why none of them really matter. (laughs) Sure you do. I mean, it's obvious they set up the three other witches. This was going to be some kind of gender war, right? Like, it was going to be this girl Lily fighting her stepdad about femininity versus the ultimate masculinity, and there were three henchmen on each side, three witches to fight three stepbrothers. But somebody somewhere 
I think, blanched. I think that they got scared when they saw female Ghostbusters or they saw some of the way that attacking male toxicity gets you in trouble, you know? Like, I, you can get a hate campaign and a blowback that means we don't get to recover our profits. So why don't we minimize the idea of this being a gender war. Yeah, you saw that with Charlie's Angels. Elizabeth Banks said some things that ticked people off uh, regarding gender, and so people said that's why it failed. I Maybe, but wow, this film has nothing as, as far as characters go. There's a bunch of people in it, but I, like Adam, you, you call him a men's right activist. I guess that's what he is. Like He has some book about masculinity, and I'm like, oh, okay, I, I see what you're doing here because witches are feminine. He's going to be masculine, but I don't feel like that ever boils to anything good. Yeah, I, I, I think it did. My prediction is there was a script that went there and then there was a sentiment in the editing room of don't go there. And so it's strangely hollowed out this movie. It's like making a black exploitation movie and then cutting Whitey out of the picture. I like I don't understand if there's nothing to fight what these people are going to do. They ultimately kind of put it all on Adam. And I think we know from the second we see David Duchovny that he's, you know, I think he's known in his best days, not being very emotive. And so he's going to be playing the man that tells other men not to express their emotions, keep it bottled inside. He reminds me, do people remember Robert Bly, Iron John? It was like the early 90s men's movement. Yeah, is this where they'd go out and, and drum circles and, I don't know, they do all kinds of weird stuff, yeah. Yeah, fire in the belly. There was a whole thing going on, and it feels... Again, a long time ago, 25, 30 years. Yeah, that that's what shocked me. I'm like, is this still going on? Because I, yeah, I don't think, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it does. But it, there were figures, I guess we could call them motivational speakers. There were men that were making men's rights activism. And I don't think it was necessarily seen as anti-women, but it was going for traditional values, which of course can be code for, I don't want my wife to overshadow me. So we know right from the get-go he's bad, right? You you can sense it wafting off in him? Yes. I didn't. Really? He walks up while she's taking a picture of a snake that didn't, like, trigger to you instantly this is a bad guy? From that opening scene, I thought this was going to follow the pattern of the last one. I thought it was going to be witches against witches. I didn't know why David Duchovny and Michelle Monaghan were here. I'm still not quite sure why Michelle Monaghan came. But I thought that David Duchovny's career had hit such a point, he was just there to play boyfriend stepfather. He's playing it so sinister, though, right from the beginning. Yeah, when she, I mean, we'll jump ahead a little because there's a, they throw a lot in here. But in the times that we do spend with him, she's always sneaking into a study and like the book that he wrote seems to like recoil from her touch as if a woman couldn't read it. Or like she'll look at the family crest and it's got like a devil face with a knife and a snake and a cup in it. Like they've really sold, I think almost in every scene, he ends up chewing her out for defending herself at school. Like he's always, seen as someone that is being harsh and protecting his men from her influence. By the time we got to the chewing out scene, I figured out that what was going on, I'm just saying in the original introduction, I didn't immediately jump to David Duchovny as evil. Okay. But I did think that something was going to come of this big speech between Michelle Monaghan and Lily, where she's telling Lily, your difference is your power. 
I'm like, okay, so what sets her apart is going to be her real strength. Not witchcraft, but something that makes her different. Yeah, what makes her different is she's a natural witch. That is her power. <laughs> it's, we're doing that Sarah story all over again. Yeah, and again, if she was leaving school because she was ostracized and she, for whatever reason, had been labeled something negative, that might have been helpful to establish why she was crying and why they had to make this adjustment. I don't see that she's that different. She's a, you know, spunky, self-confident young woman. And I feel like the filmmakers are afraid to make her look weak. And so, consequently, we don't see any vulnerability. Yeah, she's certainly not Carrie, even though they're going to try to make some Carrie parallels here with her menstruating, not in the shower at the locker room, but right in the middle of class. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a very heavy flow. Like, I, I don't know, I'm not a woman, I don't menstruate, but like, that thing was all over the place. And yeah, the fact that these three witches, which I guess they have names and personalities, you wouldn't know from this movie, but they all go in there to comfort her. I did take it as it has something to do with, again, that feminine power. Yeah, and I feel like they don't have their own part of this to tell this is lily's movie entirely but i will just give a compliment i feel like these actresses are good i feel like there is a nice chemistry when they're hanging out together it feels like that kind of instant friend bonding that you like to see happen on screen the talking over each other and that kind of stuff did feel really natural between the four girls but really the one i liked best was frankie she seemed to have like some real character actress personality you, you know who i know who frankie is because i wrote short because there's a tall one and there's a short one and there's a black one that's how i know who you're talking about that's my problem right and the tall one is trans did they call that out i missed that yes there's a moment where frankie is saying all women are supernatural so why are we singling some out as witches and then it is lordis who's like uh-uh trans women have their own magic so like again it's it's undersold. Oh, it feels like that would have been a really good point to like draw out and elaborate on then. I because I, I totally missed it. I knew going in that there was a trans actress as one of the witches. God forbid the director be seen as a turf. She made sure to include all diversity, including a trans actress. But it was called out during the bleeding scene. I think it's Frankie who goes, you have a massive flow. And Lourdes or they call her Lou a lot. Lou was like, I wouldn't know. And between that line and then later on talking about trans, you got to really be paying attention, though, because I wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah, when she says I wouldn't know, uh, to me, it just means like I don't have heavy flows. Like, And I missed the, the other line that came later, so totally missed on me. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. As much as this is about being woke, it doesn't feel like they're trying to make a statement about any of these women. Oh, I mean, I think just them being the women is a statement in of itself. Just the representation, which, which I get. Okay, I could give it that. Yeah, I think that they're willing to say that witches, we have a more expansive idea of girl power than we did pre-Spice Girls. And so here we are <laughs> 24 years later and we can see, yeah, all kinds of women. The Tabby character is confusing because she's defined as fire. And in her one moment that I saw in this montage, she burns off the name Lisa graffiti-wise. Yeah, that wasn't her name. It confused me, too. But it looked like her locker. No. Does she go around, like, cleaning up all graffiti? Or was <laughs> she rejecting graffiti on her own locker? Didn't it say Lisa is a slut? I thought it was slut-shaming. Yeah. Is Lisa her real name? Right, but no one is named Lisa in this movie. There's no character named Lisa. 
No, that was very confusing. <laughs> so, I, again, I don't need it to be about white girls, you know, hating on me as I dive off of diving board. But I just feel like, yeah, all of these women needed to have some kind of bully, something to go on. Like, Lourdes, like, ends up, I think she's the one that ends up turning, like, some nameless bully is, like, yelling at a guy and she turns his clothes into, like, gay pride rainbow or something like that. But oddly enough... These women are impersonal superheroes. They go around helping other people that we never get to know with some problem that can be solved in a five-second clip. That's strange. I really wish they mattered. I mean, I don't even know why they're into witchcraft other than I want to be a superhero. Yeah, it's superheroism. That's that's what witchcraft has become. They have removed the Lost Boys entirely from this. The Manon will get mentioned towards the end, but they don't talk about him. And certainly they don't make... Witchcraft seemed like some kind of sexual act with a man penetrating them. No, they're like, stage two is telekinesis. Stage three, we'll get to soon enough. Stage four, shapeshifting. So that's their biggest goal is, yes, to turn into Kristen Stewart. Right. And when they do like evoke, they, they say the goddess of holy mysteries. Like, so again, there seems to be, in my mind, a clear delineation between male power and female power. And thus that will be the conflict of this movie. For half of this movie, I'm kind of enjoying the casual way it's being set up. I think, oh, this is a smart, fun way of getting everyone on the side of these witches before we find out that the stepbrothers and their stepfather are trying to, well, what it seems to be is that Adam is, if he's guilty of anything, is that we'll see him late in the film holding some kind of, yeah, drum circle or something where they pass the pipe. He sees any showing of emotion as weakness. I don't think so. I don't think that's it. I don't think it's showing of emotion. He encourages his son to cry and says, you're not weak while the son cries. I think showing emotion is fine. Weakness is not. Well, then it's, he doesn't want him to look weak in terms of masculinity, I suppose. They, they will make a whole issue. It's really strange and ill-defined about one of his sons and not the one he's comforting having sex with one of the men that have died. I don't know. We'll parse it out when we get there. But I, in general... <laughs> Will we? This movie doesn't give us a lot to parse out, but okay. In general, I think that they're trying to get at the idea that male toxic culture comes from a place of them men not feeling able to be able to express themselves. And and that's where I get confused. And I, I agree with you, Arnie, that it does feel like, and I know these like men's group, it's like, let's go out to the woods. And, and that's where we could bear our souls to each other. Again, it, it's very exclusive. Like we're going to do it around other men and we're going to have our own kind of emotional connection. <sighs> I don't know. It's a mess. Like I, I wish, it, again, you, you could have made this just more rote, but it would be cleaner. Like whatever they had, it got cut out. That would help this make sense. Now, I don't want to come off like a men's rights activist, and I, I will say just right up front, this movie handles third wave feminism a hell of a lot better than Black Christmas did. I kept waiting for the message mallet to come out, and it never did, but... I think it came out with the message ball peen hammer. Yeah, well, I, and I think that's a mistake. When you're making a genre picture, you want everyone to see the message. Yeah, it should have been a mallet. Yeah, I, like, who wants to watch a black exploitation film where, like, Whitey is like, okay, you can use my drinking fountain. Like, no, <laughs> like, we need clear-cut 
well-defined black and white, quite literally in that case, but we want the villains to go all in. It needs to be extreme and over the top so that no one can miss it. Then you're leading me right to the next character, Timmy, who is extreme and over the top. Now, I get it. If in a high school, a woman menstruated on the floor, there would be giggles, there would be jokes, there would be teasing. I guess even teasing these days is considered bullying, which is considered the worst evil next to bringing a gun to school. And so I see him as bad, but the continued treatment of her, like tripping her into tension and things, I'm like, this guy's over the top when he gets to physical violence, tripping her so she falls. It seems like the only problem the whole school has with Lily is that she had that period. Like, it's really strange. Like, when they go to a party later, some girls will be making a film joke about period pieces. Like, I'm like, is that really the only reason why you hate her? The other movie did do a much better job of explaining why these girls were outcasts. I don't know why this crew is considered an outcast. No, they seem very fashionable, like very hip. Like I yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm in my 40s. I don't know what makes an outcast these days, but they seem like they fit in. I'm the same way. I'm like I'm not sure that there is quite as much of an outcast class these days with the anti-bullying initiatives and everything. Yeah, I feel like there's less gatekeeping with this younger generation and Yeah. Mhm. I think that there doesn't need to be a movie to break down the walls. You're more free to be whoever you are when you're a young person than you would have 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean, when I went to high school, there would never be a trans person in high school. You would have to send them to a special school for that. And now there are lots and lots of trans people in high school in my town and middle school and grade school. So it's changed a lot. And... I think the anti-bullying campaigns and such, there, you know, there is cyberbullying. There are the instances you hear, but by and large, they get by. No, 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 let's be clear. Of course, they're bullied mercilessly, but they also have support. I'm not going to say, oh, the problem is gone. Let's not fall into the trap of because we have representation, it means that the problem has gone away. No, they're bullied. I understand that. But I feel like they also would have teacher support and probably more people in their class on their side than on the bully would be my guess. Yeah, that that was the surprise to me, because as much as I thought this was going to be a remake, I was shocked that we didn't have like the whole bookstore. And I thought, oh, maybe Sarah's going to come back and she's going to be the owner of the bookstore now or something like that guiding force. They don't really seem to have that in this film. Yeah. Or Michelle Monaghan. You would figure that she might at some point be revealed to be a witch. Yeah. Yeah. Have some (laughs) kind of connection. They have a different destiny for yeah, who Lily's mother is and why she has these powers. We'll hold on to that for a second. But yeah, I just feel like I want to be clear. I actually like the vibe of this movie. I actually feel like it feels more natural and just more likable, enjoyable as a teen film than the original craft. But if they're trying to set up a, a horror movie with villains and good guys, or even a superhero movie, Timmy ain't it. Like, I feel like they put everything on Timmy and he's just not that interesting. If this is a teen drama on the CW, I think it's working great. I (laughs) want to compliment this film. Like, yes, this looks like it was supposed to come out in theaters. It it looks good. The editing, the way it's shot, the the direction, the acting, like all that is very professional. I just wish there was something for me to care about. Yeah, and I'm right there in between you two. I don't find these girls better than the originals, but I do feel like they look like they have good chemistry as in if they were 
hanging out at the food court at the mall, I think those are four good friends. However, seeing them giggle and talk over each other and have fun together and cast a few spells does not endear me to them as characters in a film where these are supposed to be the protagonists. I like Lily. I like the character and the actress a lot here. She carries this movie. She's in virtually every scene, and if she was bad, the whole thing would be unwatchable. I think she pulls it off, and she has some supporting characters that do well. I'm with the film, but I'm still thinking Carrie, too, as this continues with Timmy and all. And I thought for sure it would go like the last one did, and to a degree it does. I thought Lily would get into Timmy, but then I didn't quite see Timmy's arc. Yeah, well, I mean, it is Skeet Ulrich. I mean, it, it, she does fall for her harasser, and so they go that path that he starts off, yeah, just relentlessly torturing her. They decide, okay, let's break into his room and we'll turn his bog into a cauldron and yeah i thought that was kind of funny he's got a used condom because they need some kind of physical presence of his person and like i'm like okay this this feels fun and here i really feel the pg-13-ness of this movie yeah i agree it would have felt i mean sometimes these teen movies do get our ratings right i mean you yeah you have the the sex comedies like american pie or super bad or even i think book smart was rated r yeah there you go i'm thinking of times where i have seen a teen movie that didn't hold back and this one definitely feels like yeah we're not going to show that which again that's fine the, the joke is that they got no cauldron so they turn his bong into a cauldron and yeah they they're using a semen to make a potion that will just basically here's the trick that was hard for me to get i thought they were putting him under a spell and so i was like i'm not necessarily cool with the fact that he's acting against his will but what I think we're to understand is he's just breaking down his defenses. Yeah, they say to awaken Timmy to his higher self. So it's self-realization process. It is still a spell. It is still against his will. I would say if you take the idea that Adam has him under his own spell, that there's a certain way to be a man and you can't be reading feminist literature and listening to Princess Nokia or whatever whatever the kids today think is really like radical because I didn't understand half the references. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had to look up Princess Nokia. I feel like we needed to know and see that Adam had a much more a whole I feel like this should have been one of the brothers, right? Yes. Why do we have Timmy when we already have three brothers that we're not getting to know? No, we, she walks in on one of them like jerking off to porn. It's supposed to play as a horror scene where you hear like screaming, but yeah, I was wondering, are we gonna get some like weird I guess it wouldn't be incest incest, but whole stepbrother, stepsister storyline going on here? You've been hanging out on Pornhub too much, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's on there. But I think Timmy is done wrong. I think the moment they cast this spell, everything that happens to Timmy is their fault because they have changed his basic personality without his consent. I think that a lot of women would come out against this movie if you just gender swapped everything in this movie and they used a spell to change a woman and make her hang out with them, whereas before she bullied them. Yeah, but I think they're going to come to that realization, realize they did wrong. Like, they're going to hold Lily responsible, too, because she does a second spell on him. But they're all going to bind themselves. Like, they all feel bad because of what happens to Timmy. And they feel responsible. Eh, it's a big gray muddle. What it is is this person, the screenwriter, has gotten in way in over their head with these politics. 
You needed to establish that this guy was under ugly male influence and that the women eradicated that, and that looks like freedom. But if you do it this way, it looks like they took a guy and emasculated him and made him act in a way that he wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, as Artie said, they turned him into a soy boy. I don't think that that's what the movie wants us to perceive. I think they want us to perceive that was a guy that was hiding himself and his bisexuality and things about himself that he didn't think would fly with his image, and they gave him the freedom to be himself. That is how it's supposed to look. And it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. I agree. And that is a part of the problem with this witchcraft in this movie is that it feels like they have done something wrong. They roofied this guy and that doesn't look good because women are doing it to men. And especially because having self-actualization is one thing, but having self-actualization to a point that you abandon every other part of your identity the way he does, he abandons his friends, abandons his previous music so he can listen to feminist music by Nokia and read feminist poetry. That is just as weird as Skeet Ulrich's love potion in the last movie. And so I feel bad for Timmy, but woke Timmy is funny and the actor is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was good as a bully. And yet, I still like him as this woke guy. At first, he, I, I was creeped out, and I thought he was going to turn violent, and like it would backfire on them somehow, like the Skeet Ulrich thing did. But I actually really like this guy as he hangs out with the girls, and he's just overly helpful. Again, it feels like they're trying to be more inclusive, because now it's not just for women. They got Timmy hanging out with them at school, doing the slow motion walk. Like, yeah, there's mixed messages. I feel like you could do this, and then the girls have to learn something from it. Like, and uh, I guess they kind of have that moment. Yeah, it's not as strong as you'd want, but... Well, th that comes later. Like, up to this point, they have made him woke. Later, Lily is going to say, I'm going to have you fall in love with me and light a red candle. And that is... That is stepping too far. That is the moment where she abused the witchcraft. But up to this point, I think we are to accept that they've helped this man self-actualize. And I wish it played better. It looks a lot like Skeet Ulrich falling in love for women that are kind of laughing at him and making mockery of him. That was the original. And so by following in that footstep, they've sort of created that impression whether they wanted to or not. And then after this, we get the montage of their powers, where, as you mentioned... Lourdes turns a guy's sweater into rainbow flag colors, and Tabby burns off Lisa is a slut. And we get light as a feather, stiff as a board. In the trailer, that was a scene, but somehow they decided, I guess, that was running too long, and they just cut it and made it part of this montage to nod at the previous film. But in this montage, Lily takes a magical bath, and I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> What was that? Yeah, because, again, they talked about shape-shifting. I'm like, is that setting this up? Does she have bad skin like the one character last week? No. Like, what was the point of the bath? I'll throw this out. I think that they had something scripted that they completely cut. They made a big deal about the fact that she menstruated and ruined those jeans. And then at some point, she brought them home. Yes, yeah, someone magically cleaned them and it gets dropped. Well, follow me on this. <laughs> if they took Timmy's semen and used that on a spell to make him under the influence, I believe the mystery gene washer would be Adam, who was going to put this feminist bitch in her place by taking the blood off her jeans and putting her under spell. 
See, I thought it was Adam too, and that yeah, he was going to use that blood to create a spell. Like I don't know if he has powers at this point or what, but I'm trying to figure it out. But yeah, I thought it was going to be Adam, but it just gets dropped. Like we never find out who who cleaned Lily's jeans. We don't know because they walk away from the idea of men versus women. They just for whatever reason. That is this movie, though. That's the climax of this film. I don't know why you walk away. So, yeah, we've been left with a bunch of cutscenes as the movie, and we've hollowed out what any intent was with what the filmmakers wanted to take this. And they must be ashamed of those cutscenes, because when this came out on disc and digital, zero bonus features. No commentary, no cutscenes. They didn't give this a glorified release that they'd give, say, The Croods 2. And I think it's <laughs> partly because it's really dangerous to, I mean, how can you demonize men for wanting to get into a fire circle and talk about their masculine power? Why is that not okay when women are celebrated for doing it? As long as no one is trashing the other, groups coming together and finding unity shouldn't be perceived as a threat. Well, that's the weird thing is when they do show Adam and his group, it doesn't necessarily seem threatening to me or toxic. Like, because they cut it out. They cut the toxic part out. Yeah, they have this line, power equals order. And he seems like kind of a dick stepdad the way he gets mad at Lily for standing up to herself against a bully. But I was waiting for that big evil moment with Adam and it never comes. Okay, let me mention another scene that really freaks me out. To get there, we mentioned Timmy is bisexual. And in one of his girl gab sessions with the witches he reveals this about himself it's like truth or dare yeah that they're playing two truths and a lie he hooked up with the oldest stepbrother isaiah i don't think isaiah has more than one or two lines in this movie i don't know why he wouldn't have hooked up with the middle brother jacob who he hangs out with all the time and is supposed to be doing this biology report with but he's being a bad friend and making Jacob do all the biology homework alone. But he hooked up with Isaiah and he's afraid of Jacob finding out because Jacob would be mad it's his brother, I guess. Again, this is all stuff that was scripted, maybe shot, in which Adam basically proposed the idea that men can't be gay. If you're a real man, you can't have these feelings for other men and that part of his masculinity and bonding and all of that is anti-LGBT. And there is this moment here where he claims that it's hard for men to be bi. I guess that they feel like they're not accepted by straight communities or gay communities. So much like having a trans character, having a male bi character here is progressive. Yeah, but did this scene come out? Like, it took me a set. Like, I thought he was confessing he got raped. Like, the way that he was crying and all of that. I was like, oh my God, this was a sexual assault. It took me a while to realize, yeah, this was a consensual relationship that he had with a non-character who, again, we've only seen him play shooter video games and grunt. And we'll have a scene after this where he's sleepwalking, which again, I thought he was under the power of his dad. He was going to hurt her, but that gets cut. Like, no payoff. I thought he killed Timmy. I really thought he killed Timmy. He did. This is what I'm saying is that they had this as the movie and then they said, oh my God, men are going to hate this movie. Cut it all. And I knew it was consensual sex because 
they found that condom in his room, a used condom. Like I said, it's a really weird scene because he starts out saying, I'm a virgin. Well, that can't be true because I hooked up with Timmy and then he starts weeping. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? Yeah, I didn't take it as assault. I took it as like he had feelings for him. And he says Isaiah won't even acknowledge him now. And and that was the heartbreak. It came clear. But again, just the way that it came out just felt it was awkwardly introduced into a movie that already is feeling at this point kind of awkward in how it has been like the craft, but now refuses to go where the craft did. The craft's second half was very much a horror movie about women using their power against one another. Director doesn't want to go there. I get it. So that means you got to go fight men, right? It means that we now need to make this about male power versus female power. Dicey proposition, sure to piss people off, but hey, that's the movie you set out to make. Black Christmas did it. Yeah, every exploitation movie does that. That's why they're exploitation movies. They're willing to make those broad statements. Right. If you're not going to make that, then what is this? Suddenly this is a movie about Timmy and everything is about helping Timmy come to be. And But then he's killed off screen. Like just so much about this second half feels, I'm going to say, like it was gutted and that there was a different movie that they went and tweaked and changed out of fear and callousness and disrespect for what they intended. What you're saying makes so much sense because I figured stuff was cut because Isaiah being in her room that night and then Jacob coming in, are you sleepwalking again? What the fuck? (laughs) You know, there's so much. That's a creepy scene too. I actually feel like that this judged by the scene, it's the only scary scene in the whole movie that she wakes up and there's like that silhouette in the mirror. She goes to the mirror and then it's in the corner. Like that was pretty good as a horror effect. That's it though. But then, yeah, there's no more threat. I can't wait to talk about the ending because, yeah, this is supposed to be terrifying. And they also introduce something that kind of sets something up, but not really. Timmy communicates to his mother through a Ouija board. Yeah, like legit. Like, again, I was wondering, oh, okay, so this is going to tell us that being a witch, you could have warlocks too. Those are male witches. Like, it's not confined to femininity. But no, if that scene's there, it got cut. I also think that it was trying to get to the idea that men can be influenced by their mothers and not just by their fathers. And that this was a character, again, by being bisexual, he was in touch with both his feminine side and his masculine side. And that is what Adam hates. That is what Adam won't tolerate downstairs in his circle groups, hugging his son and and yelling at them and all of that. But again, every time they want to make him too much of a villain, like David Duchovny turns around and has a scene where he apologizes to Lily and and you you feel like he backpedals from some of the menace. Like they needed to get this going with him and her about 20 minutes earlier than it does. We already knew he was a villain. Why not just start having him do shit in the middle of the movie? Yeah, when he's like introducing his coat of arms to her and I'm like, this just feels like you're going to find out they burned witches at the stake. She's going to like look it up. What's with this coat of arms? And that's going to be the discovery or something like uh, it's it's so frustrating how they don't want a villain in this film. Yeah, he does talk about how his crest goes back to pagan culture to, and she does get glimpses of a pagan ritual in a nightmare and Adam with blood. I mean, here they're just telling you what it's going to come. I guess that's for the sequels. They're just setting it up. For the sequels. Yeah. Snakes and phalluses. And again, they had something there. But I think they also got sidetracked because they maybe at the last minute got a call from Verruza saying, okay, I'll do it. Like they had it. They had her as a big part of the movie, wrote her this thing. And then she said, I ain't doing that movie. They were middle of filming. And then she's like, okay, I'll come back. And they're like, well, shit, we got to come up with some adoptive daughter shit. Nope. 
this was in the script from the first draft, that she would just be the last page. But why not use her? This is so not what the rest of the movie is about. I don't know why Feruza would come back for this. I don't know why we even need to do this other than for sentimental reasons. Well, Feruza doesn't really act anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as soon as they said Lily was adopted, I'm like, okay, here's my bet. It's either Sarah or Nancy. One of those are her real mom. And okay, you have it be Nancy. This is a redemption story. Like, here's your daughter. You were this awful witch. She ended up in an insane asylum. Here's someone that's going to learn their powers responsibly. But you got to have Nancy be more of a part of that story. Agreed. I mean, there's... This would feel like a proper sequel if this was Nancy raising a daughter after getting out of the hospital, reconnecting, finding out her daughter's a witch, being overprotective because those powers were bad to her, and then seeing that her daughter can be more responsible than her mother was. I mean, you could have that. It's kind of a Nightmare on Elm Street type of thing. I picture Feruza Bulk playing a drunk in this scenario, the same way Nancy's mom did in Nightmare. But the way they do it here, they waste Michelle Monaghan and Feruza Bulk. I don't even know if she really spoke in this film. I mean... Well, again, that's what I'm saying is they only had her for a day, and it was a tease for a sequel. Ten minutes. 10 minutes that's all they had her for like she's in this for three seconds but you could have actually had her beat michelle monahan right she could have gotten out and cleaned herself up i didn't think that woman was being incarcerated forever 24 years who's the father if she got yeah how did she get pregnant this is like a kill bill scenario where they're like raping patients while they're comatose or something like this is awful again which is why i thought adam was the actual father yeah so <laughs> bizarre that they went down that road at this time when just when they were heating up the gender politics suddenly we got to make it about you're not my mother they could fix it shape-shifting michelle monahan could have turned into feruza balk at the end that would have been a better ending and raised a lot of questions that a sequel could answer as it is this whole adoption subplot does feel weirdly inserted like i thought she was going through adam's stuff but she's going through her mother's papers no her mom sets it up early i gotta give this to adam because he's gonna get me organized this man's gonna tell me what to do so that's why it was all in adam's office okay yeah she had a shoebox full of like letters and stuff so this was among those filings yeah she was like a nurse she's a therapist okay yeah yeah she took care of nancy and then adopted her kid and then with the promise that i will never tell the kid who you are because i i presume that to mean they'll find out that you were incarcerated and again there's no hope for nancy ever getting out She's clinically insane for life. She still thinks she's flying. I didn't have that impression at the end of the craft. I did. I felt like she was in Arkham. I mean, she's screaming, I'm flying, I'm flying. I figured she was never getting out. And I figured if they ever made a sequel, it would be her breaking out. Okay. All right. At any rate, yes. At a really pivotal moment in this story, they take a turn back to the original and create this adoption storyline. Now, I will admit, when I was sitting down to watch this movie, I looked at the cast list and saw that Feruza Bach was in it, so I kind of knew this was coming. But I, I thought that she would have come earlier, and I thought she would have participated in the climax. I didn't think that she would have been the teaser ending for some Avengers craft movie. I mean, these witches barely participate in the climax. There's barely a climax here. Yeah, this is really, really strange that first the girls bind her and themselves. So they take away all of the magic powers from themselves and others. It's a real Superman 2 scenario. And it should be said, because it was a strange choice 
on Lily's part, after he admits that he's bisexual and had this affair with her stepbrother, that she's going to now turn him into her love toy? Yeah, I didn't get that at all. (laughs) That was really bad. Like, that is not a time to insert yourself into someone damaged. That was... And making it some kind of cute joke that she was masturbating with his sweatshirt and he walks in on it. Just all of that was... was, Again, the movie's starting to fall apart. This should be... Not quite a Feruza Balk moment, but this should be her going evil witch, right? This should be, you know, her being the Nancy, using the power for personal gain in this regard. I don't know what about his big crying confession made her so turned on, but apparently it did. Yeah, be that as it may, people can be enamored with lots of things. And she found him vulnerable and appealing and masturbated with his sweater. And so, again, she makes a love potion. And that was maybe what caused him to kill himself. Too much magic. The girls aren't sure, but they're breaking up and they're not going to perform any magic again. That's pretty extreme. And then it's also worth pointing out Lily is getting mad at her mother and like throws her down at the funeral for Timmy onto the ground in the same way that she threw Timmy against the locker. So maybe she is turning into Nancy. Maybe she is becoming possessed by too much evil power. But it never comes off that way because this whole movie is told through Lily's point of view. So I never feel she's out of control. I see her push her mother down. Her mother was, you know, she needed to be alone. The mother did continue to harp a little bit. Doesn't need to be pushed down, but I could see that as an accident. I don't think it's the gasping moment every single person around thinks it is, especially since theoretically nobody in that room knows about witchcraft and Lily never laid a hand on her mother. Yeah, but the mom does know, like after this scene... She says she knows Lily has powers and that she was told she has to stop the curse as soon as those powers started showing. No, that's Adam pretending to be Helen. See, I don't know what the mom knows because that was that was part of the shape shifting. Oh, that's right. Because Adam, who wants the power of these witches, is already at stage four and can shapeshift. Why? Like, this is why he needs to be a warlock or something. I don't understand. They need to be standing against him and him taking the powers of man. And, like, he already has to be powerful. I don't know why he wants powers now. He can shapeshift. I don't think he wants their powers. I think he wants to take away their power. That's the way I took it. No, he said he wants to take it into himself. And that the spell he wants her to say invokes Manon. We get him back from the last one. In the name of Manon, I give you my power. And I don't know what he is. All I know is his eyes turn black a couple times. Is he a demon? Is he a warlock? Is he something else? Is he an alien? I don't know. He's a man-witch. It's, again, you have to see this very much as... That's a tasty sandwich. What is he? (laughs) That's a warlock. (laughs) I do feel like you have to see this in gender-divided terms. He is wanting women to be subservient. I give you my power, not that he's going to gain strength from, from being a woman... No, he is taking away their power so that he can have his... Again, that's that's what his whole... When we have that one scene of his study, we see that he's got photos up of him telling crowds of men how to be male, and he's got that book about masculinity. I, I see that as all sorcery. That is him practicing a different art form that is maybe anti-woman, but at the very least masculine. And I get that, Stuart. The problem is this movie doesn't want to tell me that, and it's not like... Uh... 
a real artsy film where, you know, you know, like you listen to people listen to jazz and they're like, you got to listen to the notes that aren't being played. Like, that's how I feel this movie is. You got to listen to the plot points that aren't being told in the film because <laughs> that's where this film lies. Like, if you like, I don't understand. He kills Timmy because he expressed emotions towards a woman. No, because he was bisexual. And how did he know that? No, I think it's because he was woke. I think it's because he was woke and sensitive and he couldn't come back to not show the weakness of wokeness. See, I just think something happened where Timmy wouldn't show up in that drum circle or something. It's like the Crips. The only way out of Adam's drum circle is in a body bag. (laughs) There is nothing in this movie to tell me Adam knows that Isaiah and Timmy hooked up. There's nothing there. Yeah, wouldn't he kill his son too? Like, I don't know. I don't get it. There was a scene at a dinner table where he was wondering why his eldest son wouldn't sit next to Timmy. And I believe that there is cut scenes where that gets more explored. And the filmmakers, for whatever reason, felt like, wow, we're losing the plot. And this is taking it into uh, inflammatory. They've cut out all the plot. I would argue that that is what ends up being because they refuse to risk offending people and going with some kind of thought on gender politics. It's too woke is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, they end up just deflating all tension. They woke up and decided to go for a cat nap. (laughs) Yeah, David Duchovny just all of a sudden is, yeah, an evil guy who can be burned to a crisp by... Four witches. Yeah, oh, this is, there's no money, right? I, I know this is Blumhouse. They they love doing things cheap, but come on, this whole climax, like, I think it's fun that Timmy's going to talk to the other witches through the Ouija board, and they're going to show up, but then they're like, we're going to stand in a circle and, and make fire, I guess, come out really bad CGI fire. And we don't see it, but they say we've unbound ourselves. I don't think that's how it works. Like, if you drive your car off of a cliff, you know, just push it off a cliff, you can't then go, well, I want to bring that car back because I did it i mean if they took away their magic binding is magic (laughs) so i don't there needed to be more of into that or just bind her and not bind themselves or something like that and then yeah this ending what you're making me think Stuart, because this ending is cheap as shit jacob you're making me think this is a reshoot oh totally like they brought people back together and had one million dollars to just get this shit done (laughs) not only that but they had to do it in covid time so nobody touch each other is that why they're all standing six feet apart in the circle? It's They totally are. <laughs> I'm telling you, it just the movie screams it. Our ending originally tested very poorly, or we just didn't like the message that it was sending. And, as you pointed out, Arnie, we put Black Christmas out, and that did not light anyone's fire. We're not going to make that mistake again. We're going to take away whatever was really inflammatory about the story's conclusion and make it a very generic, very cheap, barely there climax. One of the things I love about horror movies, and I didn't realize how much I love it until it was taken away from me in this movie, is the normie explanation. Like, okay, these four girls just set her stepfather on fire. He's dead. How do you tell people this? I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you tell the cops? What What does the lawyer say to get you off those charges? Are the stepbrothers relieved they're no longer under his control? Are they pissed their dad is dead? I want that information told to me. No, the very next scene, they're just walking down a street all happy and asking Lily's mom, any luck at warlockdating.com? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that's because the brothers were killed. I mean, I can tell you it was four witches. That's the original ending, yeah. Yes, it was those <laughs> stepbrothers were fighting the three witches. And they just, they're not going to ask those actors to come back. This shoot is too expensive already. And one of them's already testing positive for COVID, so forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but they wouldn't be this happy walking down the street at the end if that was the ending. There had to have been something to bring them this much happiness. We just murdered four people. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I my my review of this movie, just a preview, is I would really like to see it. Like, I really <laughs> wanted to see what they were trying to do. Because I feel like what we've been presented has been severely compromised here. Speaking of compromising, apparently in certain trailers, you can actually see the snippet of a frame with Feruza Balk in it. I might have. I wouldn't have recognized Feruza Balk. No. Unrecognizable if I didn't look it up in IMD. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Nancy, but let's just confirm that. <laughs> Again, I, I saw before I hit play, I saw she was going to be in it. I was just perplexed that that was the end. I mean, it's an Avengers ending. I get it. That's what you're doing if you're trying to build a universe. But I really, I didn't get the sense that they thought that they were creating a new franchise. They were testing the waters by saying, is this movie 24 years later still relevant i wouldn't have bet that nancy would have held much appeal yeah legacy means nancy comes in and like helps with the climax she saves the day or or maybe she's the ultimate villain something this is hey can we reboot this old franchise arnie i know you're saying this cast a long shadow the first domino to fall that people love this not my experience like to me it's like uh let, let's try to reboot this and we'll throw this little easter egg in for the fans yeah why don't we make it correctly this time was my hope for this movie they rebooted charmed on tv you'd think they could reboot the craft successfully let's find out if they did jacob stewart do you recommend the craft legacy jacob i could credit this film that it is much more woke this is woke craft than that original one that was very problematic i had a lot of the same problems that stewart had with it that yeah it, it cast this feminine power in a bad light in, in that one and it was this confusing message but that film was kind of just trash and i had fun during the climax and that's why i was able to eke it over the the recommend line i guess i, I don't know how good i feel about that but it is what it is this film is so frustrating because i'm like oh, okay here they are they're gonna address all these issues and, and we're gonna fix those problems from the 90s that we just weren't woke enough to to realize I guess and but this drops the ball with like basic storytelling Stuart you're right like you wish you could see the movie that this was because it feels like there's a lot missing and for me what ultimately makes it a not recommend because I feel like the tone is is very similar to that original craft where no it is not clueless witches it's like like it's not funny it's like here's a real story like we're going to portray this very seriously with these witches but I had a fun little haunt house ending at the end of the original craft that again helped me eke it over this one i get nothing it's there's no climax here there's no fun to be had so i'm glad it's more woke but i also want a little bit more fun too in my movie so that is my main problem why i can't eke this one over that recommend line you know i i called that last craft uh it's it's kind of like getting that three musketeers at halloween you, you got a little chocolate you got a bunch of fluff in there i don't know what that stuff is but it goes down this this is the hipster craft it, it's like deconstructed caramel apples or something like <laughs> I, I don't really understand it and ultimately just give me a caramel apple like I'll, I'll eat that like i don't understand why i gotta like have everything cut apart and and just done weird so, yeah, not a recommend because it doesn't want to tell a story. That It's so frustrating. There's not a story, not a plot in this film. Stuart. 
I'm going to stand by my prediction of last week. I still like this movie better than the first craft. Wow. Because it has better cast chemistry. It largely comes down to the fact that female empowerment is portrayed as something positive, and I enjoy Jin Y recreations of what feels like for the first half of the movie of scene-by-scene remake. It's like, oh, yes, this is how it should have gone. This is how I should have been feeling. Oh, they're doing this so well. Dare I make the joke, I was charmed. For half this movie, I liked it, and I thought, clearly, a better film. And then, lo and behold, somewhere around the time Timmy starts crying that he's bisexual, I feel like, wow, this thing is is strangely sidestepping the issues that it seems to have raised. And by the time we get into the whole, you're not my mother subplot and the non-exciting ending, you're right, Jacob. I really realized that part of the formula might be female empowerment. But part of it is you need to have glam-offs. You need to have black magic. You need to have special effects. Throughout the movie, we needed more witchcraft, and it's just not here in this movie. They've sacrificed everything to try and send a positive message about young women, and they lose the war. By focusing so much on that issue and gutting what I believe to be the substance of the movie they wanted to make, yeah, we've been left with Sisterhood of the Menstruating Pants, and it's <laughs> it's just not a recommend. I have to strongly disagree with you that this is better than the last one. Because this movie is an absolute mess. There's no craft to its making. So this is ironically named. I mean, I do believe that you're right. That a lot of this movie was gutted, edited. It's surprising to me that they couldn't have edited more. Like, why was Isaiah in the bedroom? Just cut that scene out. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, who cleaned the pants? <laughs> cut it out. It doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that scene needed to go, right? Why ask questions you're not going to answer? Yes. I mean, they keep calling out this necklace she's wearing. Was that a necklace Nancy wore? I didn't recognize it. Like, again, there's lots of little things like that. It had the symbol from the craft book, and it was the four points. I thought that it was a witch craft necklace did it come from nancy i don't know i don't remember it from the first movie i'll put it that way they wore a lot of jewelry in the first movie <laughs> it was the 90s yeah so this movie is a hell of a mess i'll say this i was having a good time with the chemistry like you said Stuart, and i found the first half of this movie if not engaging it was going down easy. I was like, yeah, it's kind of the same one. Uh, I'm trying to look up some of this Gen Z language. <laughs> Who's Nokia? But I was going along with it enough. And then it's about the time Timmy turned mm-hmm. that I started to as well. Even before he admits his bisexuality and suicide, when he's just hanging out with them all the time, I'm like, what's the plot? What is happening here? Well, it was still Skeet Ulrich. I still recognized it as the original movie. No, by this point, I'd given up on him turning evil. I was wondering where this was going. There's just way too much time spent with the group of five, one of whom isn't a witch, is just a slave, someone under their spell, just hanging out. I mean, I think in a short movie, that was a time where the pacing of the film was killed, and then everything after that is chop suey it's yet another movie where there's absolutely no redeemable male characters except maybe the youngest kid timmy timmy was only good when he was neutered by women and became a cock 
I, again, you you have to accept the idea that they freed him and that they didn't brainwash him. That is the only way that he looks positive. Yeah, and that's not what happened. But there are a couple scenes with little Abe where Abe is trying to comfort Lily. Maybe Abe was a good boy. I don't know because Abe doesn't show up for most of the film. He does nothing at the end. So yeah, men evil, women good, movie bad, not recommend. But I'll say this, I don't mind its wokeness as much as Black Christmas. That's not why I'm not recommending it. It's just, it's misandry isn't worn on its sleeve. It's subtle, but it's there. And if the movie itself was good outside of that, if there was a coherent plot and a decent villain and some fun magic scenes, that's all I would have needed to give this a recommend. They don't give me that, so it's a not recommend. And I just want to say, like, my ego can handle a movie where women hate men. Like, that's that's fine. Again, I can watch black exploitation movies and cheer Whitey dying. Like, it's okay to over-dramatize a subject that probably should be treated with sensitivity. We're not doing that. We're making a B picture. But yeah, this movie is a strange attempt to try and be. I feel like there's so much sensitivity to it that it, it got lost or edited out. Again, I, I still think that that's the best theory is that there is maybe a good movie uh, sitting on a shelf somewhere and uh, we're not allowed to see it because the studio thought otherwise. If these people made it, I find it hard to believe it's a good movie. They left in those two scenes we talked about that should not have been left in. Yeah, but I feel like the the directing, again, the, the young actresses and the vibe and the scenes early on all had a real positive feeling that it was headed in a direction that was very strange to me it didn't reach. And I attribute that to studio tampering. But yet I have no reason to believe Frankie Tabby and Lou had more stuff that was left on the cutting room floor that would have fleshed them out as characters. It's basically, you know how Jim Morrison hated being called Jim Morrison and the Doors? He wanted to be known as the Doors. This is Lily and the Craft. Yeah, it's definitely a Lily movie, and I think that was a mistake. That probably was baked in. By making her the daughter of Feruza Balk, she was going to carry more weight, and at the expense of what I feel like were good supporting actresses. Yeah, apparently there were, I I did read an article, I've been recording, looking stuff up, trying to, you know, figure out, was (laughs) there another cut of this film that explained this stuff? Apparently there was a scene, they did try to flesh out at least Lou or Lourdes, however you pronounce her name, but it was revealed that she was a bruja, which I believe is like a Mexican witch or a Hispanic witch, and that she learned magic from her abuela, her grandma. And so I guess that would explain more. Okay. Yeah, well, it gives her something. Okay, so now characterization through Latina. <laughs> Got it. Yes. I mean, again, I think that that's one thing that the original has on this movie is that it thought about more than... Rob Tunney, you know, like it, it, there was four women of importance and this movie has one. Yeah, which is weird because our criticism or Stuart and I's criticism of the last week's film is that only one person has the real power and she didn't have to do anything to earn it. And this one kind of makes that same mistake, but they don't call it out as much. It's not about class. I mean, there's not a rich girl that inherited everything. Yeah, they just underdeveloped the other three characters. Yeah, exactly. There's just a poverty of ideas. And again, I'm not totally willing to slam the screenwriter or the director because I, I can see the tampering. Yeah, well, all I can say is it's better than David Duchovny's new single. But I want to thank everyone for joining us for this craft duology. At least the original one got two-thirds of semi-love. I, I wouldn't say love. I barely recommended it. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like... 
I'm up for it, Arnie. Like, if you're telling me this kicked off a wave of, like, female empowerment, supernatural, high school kinds of stuff, like, I want to see the good version of it. I keep waiting for it. I can be convinced. But it wasn't in these two films. There's a clearly a better movie to be made. Maybe it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer on TV. So what's up next now that we are done crafting for the holidays? Next week, we start with 48 Hours and then another 48 hours with Nick Nolte. And this Friday, we have another bonus show for our patrons. Yeah, two in November. We already covered for the anniversary of JFK's assassination. We looked at the Oliver Stone movie. This one, I know it's a little tense here in America. Some uncomfortable Thanksgiving conversations. Guess who's coming to dinner? Sidney Poitier. We're going to make a Black Friday celebration of the 1967 classic comedy, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy. If you don't know that movie, it sets a really nice tone for talking about racial and political differences that I think we could all take a lesson from. You can get that and a total of 47 exclusive bonus podcast reviews by being a patron of Now Playing, just $10 or more per month. Can you help feed a podcaster? Without support from you, podcasters around the world would go homeless, hungry, and without microphones. No food for whoever's coming over for dinner. Hey, Sally Struthers was an in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That was all in the family. (laughs) (laughs) So for just $10 or more, it's the patrons and the donors that are the lifeblood of Now Playing. You guys are the magic that keeps this show going spiritually and physically so please if you can during this holiday season help our show out with a pledge and for something completely different than either the craft 2 or guess who's coming to dinner thanks to paramount we are giving away five digital download codes to nicholas cage's new film jujitsu nicholas cage is actually the and in that movie it stars elaine moosey who was the star of the kickboxer reboot movies as well as we reviewed him in warcraft it also has the purge and captain america the winter soldier star frank grillo but this one sounds nick cage to the core as it's about an alien invader who's come to earth to fight in a death match against an ancient order of jujitsu fighters it stars Ulaine Moosey, who starred in the rebooted kickboxer films, and we reviewed him in Warcraft, or he was in Warcraft at least. And if you want to win, all you have to do is subscribe to our now playing newsletter, In Focus. If you're already a subscriber, you're already entered to get one of these five digital downloads of Jujitsu. If you haven't subscribed, it's a newsletter, comes out just once a week, we don't spam you, it's updates on what movies we're reviewing, and what's going on behind the scenes of movies we've reviewed, or will be reviewing, or major updates in the movie biz, such as Wonder Woman going direct to HBO Max. You can subscribe by heading to our website, click subscribe at the top, and there's a form right there, and you get entered to win in these giveaways as well, and we've got one coming up that we think should be pretty exciting. We'll let you know about that in future weeks, but enter now to win jujitsu. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me, and until next time, this is the end. We let you go in peace. So does stuff like tonight happen to you a lot? 
No, not, not like that. Other stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. I can feel him running through my veins. He's still in me. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Show us your glory. Show us your power. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. You know my favorite kind of movie? Period pieces. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. (laughs) You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Are you going to pay for those? Uh-huh. You're not like your friends. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. You gotta try it. Find the details on our website. Listen to me, please. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. It's real good, thanks for asking. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Did you tell your friends? No, but I will. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Your difference is your power. Associate produced by Jason Latham. I know what I'm talking about! I'm in touch with the man! Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. He takes everything that's gone wrong in your life and he makes it all better again. Now Playing credits read by Brock. That's so funny. I was just thinking, I have no idea what I'm talking about. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. So you've really never played Two Truths One Lie before? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. I'm sorry, my defenses are up. People here have been really rude to me. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Relax, what's the matter with you? Relax!
Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. All right, let's hit the road, baby girl. Yeah, she's certainly not Carrie, even though they're going to try to make some Carrie parallels here with her menstruating, not in the shower at the locker room, but right in the middle of class. Well, they did that in the last movie, too, right? Like, there was a whole issue about, I think they imply that when witches get together, it starts the flow. I don't remember that in the last film. Did they have that last movie? I don't remember that at all. Did I make that up? Yeah, I think you did. (laughs) There wasn't a moment where it happened to Sarah? No, I don't remember that happening. No. Wow. Okay. Mandela effect. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like that kind of instant friend bonding that you like to see happen on screen. The talking over each other... (laughs) as we talk over each other yeah go ahead (laughs) yeah exactly there's just a poverty of ideas and again i'm not totally willing to slam the screenwriter the director because i i can see the tampering yeah well all i can say is it's better than david duchovny's new single what he sings yeah he just released a new single (laughs) called laying on the tracks (laughs) when can we get him and bruce willis doing a duet cease it's because of this movie I listened. It is. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that he was that talented. <laughs>